0: With, for example, Airflow, there are so many things you can connect to, and that way you don't need to store or use different platforms, different tools, then manually transfer from one way to another to make sure you do the data transformation with it that you want. You can connect to Tableau, so you have really front end of your entire pipeline, of your entire transformation that you want to do from raw data to final product, show a client, to... Have the clients show their clients and that goes from the rough, dirty data to a nice dashboard where they have nice graphs and diagrams and numbers that make sense if you look at them for two seconds instead of gigantic spreadsheets or however you store it with numbers and values and words.
1: The following is a conversation with Celine Trump. Celine uses Airflow and Python to create server management solutions that automate numerous manual tasks for employees at a Tier 3 bank in London. Hi, Celine. Welcome to the podcast. To start off, do you want to elaborate on the introduction I just gave?
0: Yeah, that's correct. I use the platform Airflow, like you said, which is an online open source management tool. And it's basically the GUI of the tool we use to do the automation. And by coding in Python, which is the language required for it, but have their package of Airflow wrapped around it to use that to create a certain structure in the code. Airflow can pick it up as one of their tags or their projects. And from there on, we can automate a lot of the tasks for them. And that means they can be run weekly, daily, monthly, certain time of the day, twice a day, whatever you want. (laughs) It's all possible in there, basically. Maybe not always as straightforward, but it's all possible. And we so far use it to turn off and on their platforms during the weekend, um, which means that instead of someone having to manually log into the laptop, log onto the servers and turn it all off, and then in a few hours do the same thing, but turn it on again, it's now done automatically. And after switching it on, there is a status check email coming out, which will either say green or red, depending on everything being up and running or not. As soon as one is not up and running, it will turn red and give an alert if everything is alright then the subject of the email will just say yes, everything is alright. Not exactly but that will be (laughs) um, implied from it. So yeah, unless it comes back red people don't need to look after it anymore during the weekends.
1: So I just wanted to provide some perspective as to the size of the automation that you've created because we've had a chance to catch up on this just before recording the podcast and you mentioned that this automation is concerning over two dozen servers. So, I think it's fair to assume that client employees spend the majority of their Sunday, if not the whole weekend, making sure that every single server is up and running for Monday morning. So one big part of consulting is obviously learning different tools and skills that you have to then deploy on client sites. So do you mind just elaborating a little bit more about The skills and the tools that you've used and how you've acquired them. Because from what I understand, Airflow was new to you before starting at the client. And now you've been able to deliver this automation.
0: So for the the actual coding and stuff like that, it's it's indeed Python. I had to learn more about Airflow. It came across during studies once. And I thought, what? (laughs) But thankfully, we have Google. And we have many, many other people in the world who do know a lot about it. So there's this guy called Mark Lamberti. Uh, and he has very quick, straight to the point videos, which were very helpful in teaching me how to work with Airflow. So I did that, and to actually log on into the servers and find my way around that, create new files or move files, rename them, the basics. But I didn't know them, which is in shell coding, which is just Linux basically. I had to learn how to ease things down because once you're in the code, it is very logical what you're saying but then when you explain it to people they just think sorry what and then turn it down on the technical side but still explaining what you've done Uh, i think that's something that i I learned a lot in during this this project so far
1: this is actually a topic that also came up in my conversation with connor in the last episode which for anyone listening who hasn't heard that yet is definitely worth checking out But we basically discussed the concept of being a technical consultant in a highly collaborative environment, creating very tailored technical solutions for sometimes non-technical stakeholders. Uh, And we need to get their input to really figure out what their needs are and then cater our solution to those needs. Uh, now, of course, that entails taking technical details and communicating them in a non-technical way to be able to create this collaborative environment. So do you mind just speaking a little bit about how you've been able to achieve this for your client?
0: Yes, so I'm lucky that there's um, there's a handful of people who are able to help me out when, for example, with the Shell stuff, because they, they do use that a lot um, in their daily jobs. And the Python stuff, actually, when I started, no one as far as I'm aware, uh, knew that. Uh, there are a few new people who do know Python, so it's nice that if I get stuck, I can think out loud with them, see what they say. Uh, but yeah, sometimes it is it is a bit odd how you're speaking a different language. But thankfully, the, the team that I'm under, at least they have a technical background or they understand quite a lot of it. Um So if I don't give them a specific line of Python and say, go figure it out, <laughs> the big line out of it, uh, they do understand and if you show them some code, it's not a completely new, different thing. But when I have to explain Airflow to other people within the company and see what it can do to kind of convince them that it's quite cool <laughs> um, and to show what I've been doing and to see if they have anything that they need automated, I quite often just see people like, I don't want to say doze off, but you you can see in, in, in the way that they respond that they can't follow. So that's when you learn to phrase it in different ways and, and hopefully <laughs> explain it in a way that they do understand. because. They just do something else in their daily job. They are very good at what they do. Don't ask me to do that because I wouldn't know. But yeah, they're just speaking a different language sometimes. I learned during my studies for some of the coding exams, they weren't always actually sitting behind a laptop and a computer and doing the coding. Quite often you have to give a pseudo code or what you would use or how you would approach your solutions. You give a pseudo code or outline of your algorithm. And I think... Doing that quite a lot does help you to put it down in really short, simple steps, not too many details. And I think that's very useful to explain to people what you're doing or at least what your approach is in doing it. And in my experience so far, that's quite helpful. But again, I, I think I'm quite lucky with the stakeholder that I'm working with daily. that He has quite a lot of technical background, so he, he knows what I'm saying anyway. And the other stakeholders don't normally ask for that specific uh, details of what I've been doing they're quite often just case okay, so of I want this done <laughs> so then I try and do it and when it's done I'll, I'll show them the result or in between I ask how exactly do you want it of course the whole all steps in between that belong to a project but yeah they quite often don't necessarily need to know all the details they're just I want this get it done and when you have it done they're happy.
1: How do you know when you're done or whether the solution that you've created meets the client needs?
0: I think that's the beauty of doing automation tasks. if it runs at the schedule that they wanted um, and it gives the output that they desire of course that's that's confirmation that you've done it
1: if you had to create a similar automation or solution for a different client again are there any main lessons learned that would inform your thinking or inform the way you would approach things the next time around
0: i guess be more firm in what you need to make it work It took some convincing to (laughs) get certain things downloaded or approved to work with, which can be quite a challenge to do your work. But yeah, I think that's my main lesson learned. Be more clear about what you need to do your job. Because if they don't give you that, it's going to be really hard. And you feel really silly for not doing as much as you could have done in a day. And you don't feel as useful as you can uh, feel. Because if you've been working hard, and end of the day, added stuff to your code, it's doing more things that it should be doing. That's always a good feeling at the end of the day. And if you've just been mostly stuck chasing people, hi, oh, can I download this? No, you can't. Why? Oh yeah, it might be dangerous because the internet. Python is internet. Python is open source. If you don't want that, it's gonna be really difficult to use Python. And that can sometimes result in a little bit of frustration. And of course you have to stay polite. So I've learned patience. <laughs> And I've learned to be really clear in what you want and what you need.
1: So then whilst working on this automation, did you receive a lot of pushback in terms of the tools that you've wanted to use or the technologies? And if so, how did you overcome them?
0: Yeah, they have, of course, their their lists of what is allowed and what isn't, like every company has. And Python either wasn't on it, um, even though in the uh, locations that are not London, apparently it is used quite a lot. Um, which I've learned through time, which is interesting because I think if another location is using it, why can't we? Um, but yeah, you learn to phrase how important it is and you learn to phrase it in a way that they realize, okay, you do need it or um, you find ways to create your own safe environment. And it, within that, you can then get, it well, not as many Python packages, but the main ones, the, the quite obvious ones, those are the safer Python packages. Maybe don't use one that is super like page 20 of Google for when you're searching for something. That might not be as well-developed as the, the basic ones. But I mean, if you keep it to the, the really big ones, the well-known ones, if there was something wrong with that, internet would be full of it as long as it isn't. I am pretty sure it's safe. I'm no security expert, but in my experience so far and from what I hear from everyone who I know, that's safe.
1: When you say Python packages, do you mind just explaining what those are and which exact packages that you're using to create or that you have used to create this automation?
0: I guess how I would explain a Python package is that you take on, I guess, a certain skill set within the programming language. So, for example, you have a package for making plots or graphs within your coding with your data and everything. So you could write that yourself without the packages. But there's a reason why the packages exist, because it is either quite complicated or just a lot. And these packages are skill sets, basically, already ready to use. You import them, you you take them on in your code. Like the Lego block, you just add them to your, to your tower. All of a sudden, there's a lot more you can do. If you need to make a connection to a server, you could, for example, use the, I don't know if I pronounce it right, but Paramico, Paramico package, which allows you to make SSH. Uh, connections and that way you can log into a certain server and do anything uh, you want from there and there is pendulum package which allows you to set your code to a certain time zone because airflow is an online tool so when i say run at 8am is it our atm is it atm in the us is it atm in Asia, is it 8 a.m. in, I don't know, Germany, that's of course very different and that way you can set it to a time zone, which is also convenient for when we switch from summertime to wintertime or the other way around.
1: So with tools such as Python and Airflow to make these automations, what opportunities do you see in the future and what, in your opinion, would be the consequence of uh, any given firm not making use of such technologies? It's a very good question.
0: I I'm not saying it has to be necessarily Airflow, because there are, of course, different ways to do this. But with, for example, Airflow, you can connect to so many different databases. There are other products that are called, I think, Kubernetes, or there's another one, I can't remember the name at the moment. But there are so many things you can connect to, and that way you don't need to store or use different platforms, different tools, uh, and then manually Transfer from one way to another to make sure you can use everything. You can connect from Airflow to your database. Do the data transformation with it that you want. Then you can connect to, for example, a Tableau. You can connect to Tableau. So you have really front end of your entire pipeline, of your entire transformation that you want to do from raw data to final product, show a client, to... Have the clients show their clients and that goes from the rough, dirty data to a nice dashboard where they just have, I don't want to say just, where they have nice graphs and diagrams and numbers that make sense if you look at them for two seconds instead of gigantic spreadsheets or however you store it of numbers and values and words. So I think there is a lot going on within a lot of companies to do this, to achieve this. And I think that's really cool. (laughs) I think that's something we should definitely push for to get that done, because I think it's probably safer because there's less room for human error. And it's really interesting. (laughs) It's just really interesting to be on the side to to code that, to create that, which is why I like my job.
1: I think that is a uh, very nice way to pivot into my final question, which is not work-related, but it's just a way for listeners to get to know you a little bit more. And that is, tell me something about yourself that only your friends know.
0: Yeah, so first I thought maybe I can come up with something myself that is probably the answer, but I thought, why not just ask my friends? So I asked a friend and I said, what do only my friends know about me? And her response was, you can sing, which... No, no invite for me singing ever at company events. So just be warned, I'm not doing that. <laughs> so yeah, apparently that's the thing I can do.
1: <laughs> Fair enough. um Well, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast, Celine. It's been really interesting to speak to you. And uh, for anyone listening, if you want to find out more about anything that we've discussed on this podcast, either this episode or previous episodes. Please feel free to reach out to us at dc.tech.talks at deltacapital.com, and uh, I'll speak to you in the next episode.